kingdom come. We've been walking through this series focusing on the kingdom of God, the blueprint of the kingdom of God. What did God give us? What did Jesus usher in? And what are we a part of when we commit to follow Jesus Christ? What does his kingdom look like? And we've looked week after week, the last couple of weeks, focusing on aspects of action and doing versus grace and being. Um, and, and today we're going to bring this series to a close and we're going to really hopefully crescendo this on Easter Sunday on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, so that being said, um, we're, we're just going to center ourselves and man, I'm forgetting everything today. So Evie, can you go in the office? I left my Bible and I, a good pastor needs his Bible, you know. I don't even have my phone. A good pastor at least needs to have his phone, and I don't even have that. So um, as she's doing that, we're just going to take a moment, and we're going to kind of ground ourselves, center ourselves to get our minds and our hearts ready to receive the Word of God. So I just want to encourage you, if you can, take both your feet, place them firmly on the ground. If you want to do something with your hands, you can put them together. You can put them like this. Put them in your pockets, whatever. We're just going to take a moment and take a couple of deep breaths and prepare to receive from the Lord and hear from God. And then I'll pray for us. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb where Jesus had been laying. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. So, Father, right now, on this day where we honor the truth of your might, and of your victory exercised over death itself. I pray that in that honor, we would embrace the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ today. That those who walked in in bondage would walk out of here liberated and set free from pain, from despair, from hopelessness, from addiction, from worry, from anxiety, from depression, from strife, from hurt, from trauma? And would they walk out of here, sons and daughters, embracing the fullness of Jesus Christ, set free by the power of your word? Holy Spirit, I pray that your word would work in our hearts. And in Jesus' name, amen. So the conclusion to this series of Kingdom Builders is the last title um, of this message is this. Don't forget, it's his kingdom. Don't forget, 
It's his kingdom. We said from the outset that this is our theme for the year. So even though the sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come, is done, the theme for the year 2023 is Thy Kingdom Come. The kingdom of God be built on earth as it is in heaven. And the last sermon that I would like to leave with you is to point your minds and your hearts one more time to this truth. Don't forget, it's his kingdom, Jesus's kingdom. In Luke chapter 24, following the the death and the resurrection of Jesus, there were a couple of disciples who had been following Jesus, maybe not directly, but indirectly from afar. They had heard his message. They're walking with their heads and their faces downcast. They're, They're sad, they're depressed, because Jesus was gone. He was in the tomb, and they hadn't received, or they didn't believe technically that he had been raised from the dead, even though it says that they had received that news. And so they're walking on their own, saddened, because Jesus was crucified. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. Many commentators believe, and from a, from a literal reading of the text, that it might have been something supernatural. That their eyes were veiled, they couldn't remember what he looked like, or maybe Jesus literally transformed his, his complexion so that he looked like a different person. We don't know. But what we do know is that they did not recognize that this was Jesus. The very person they were distraught had died, now alive and resurrected in their sight. And he comes upon them and he asks them, my friends, why are you downcast? Why are you sad? What's going on? And they describe the events that had transpired. And they ask a question, kind of of a a rhetorical question that was a little bit of a, maybe a passive aggressive statement. And they say, are you the only person in the entirety of the city of Jerusalem that has not heard what has happened? Mm -hmm. And the irony of it is, is that he is the only person that knows fully what has actually happened. But they don't know it's Jesus. And, And I love that verse 27 says something profound for us in our time this morning. Verse 27 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, watch this, concerning himself. Everything that these two Jewish men and all Jewish people knew about the Mosaic law, the prophets, everything that was written in Torah, Jesus stopped in this moment and he explained to these two men how everything that had been said and written was the fulfillment that he brought about. He fulfilled it. It was all culminating to him. And the story goes on, and it says that he broke bread, gave thanks, and gave it to them, continuing to practice a form of the Lord's Supper in that moment. And when they had received it, their eyes were open, and they saw it was Jesus, and then he vanished. I share this at the outset for us because, um, ironically, to the last question of the game, today we're going to take a look back in time in the Old Testament to the festival of Passover, the feast of Passover, the significance of it in the Old Testament and how it was fulfilled during Jesus's final days. So when we look back to the book of Exodus, uh, focusing on that story that many of you know about the 10 plagues of Egypt, 
right? For those of you that maybe know about this, you saw it in a movie, you grew up in Sunday school, or you have no idea. I'll just give you a brief recap. The Israelites are in slavery, in bondage to the Egyptians for generations. And then God appears to Moses, and he says, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I'm going to send you my chosen instrument to go and to liberate the people. And through a series of events, Moses finds himself in Egypt, and he's standing before Pharaoh time and time again on behalf of God as God's mouthpiece saying, Pharaoh, God commands that you let my people go. And time and time again, it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he would not let the people go. And each time that Pharaoh refused to obey the voice of God and let the people go, it says that God enacted, sent a plague upon the people of Egypt. Now, the people of Israel were still present and to a degree had been affected, but not the way that the Egyptians had been affected by the plagues. God was preserving the people of Israel through the demonstration of his power in this process of liberation. Now, what I want you to, to hear in this moment is um, a, a hypothetical question that one biblical scholar asks when contending with these plagues. I think it's a good question that maybe some here might have asked or could have been thinking. He asked this hypothetical question. Why didn't God just wipe out the Egyptians and immediately deliver the Israelites? Why did he choose to prolong this process of enacting 10 plagues? Why not just cut to the chase, get to the end, do the worst of them, or whatever it took, wipe out the Egyptians and let the Israelites go? God, who's all-powerful, why not just deliver them in one fell swoop? He could have, but why didn't he? And here's what I give to you. God wasn't just trying to get Israel out of Egypt. He was trying to get Egypt out of Israel. God could have, but he knew there was so much work that needed to be done and would continue to need to be done following the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. In fact, we know that's the case because when God has led the Israelites to Mount Sinai and they see the incredible display of his works time and time again, now in a magnificent display of earthquakes and billowing smoke and fire atop the mountain, God is enacting and is giving the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law to Moses while the Israelites are waiting. And it says that Moses for 40 days and 40 nights, was on top of the mountain communing with God, receiving this word. 40 days, that is a long time, to be fair, and yet it only took 40 days for the Israelites to turn their back on God after everything he had done for them. And it says that they took the very provision that God had given them that they were able to plunder from the Egyptians, and they melted it all into a golden calf. And they bow down and they worship it. And here's the very vernacular that they used. This, the golden calf, is the God who delivered us from Egypt. And God sees this and God hears this. And he says something pretty, pretty alarming. But I'm going to save that. I'll come back to what God says later. The 10th plague, the plague that could have ended it all right away, was the plague that God saved for last. And it's 
surrounding the events of this plague and the Israelites' participation in this plague that the practice of Passover was instituted by God. So let me read for you in Exodus chapter 12 what God says concerning the practice of Passover. You can read this whole chapter. It gives more information, but I'm going to highlight some points. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with, each per, with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. So the animal is really important for this practice. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. <clears throat> Jump to verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So what's important for us to see from the outset is that this was not a plague that was reserved simply for the Egyptians. It was for all without discrimination who would not follow the plan of God, who would not be obedient to it, Egyptian or Israelite. So God's not showing discrimination here. He's saying there's a way for you to be delivered, for you to be passed over. Follow it. Take this perfect, unblemished lamb. Kill it. Take its blood and put it over the threshold, the doorframe of your house. And when I see that blood of that perfect yearling lamb or goat, if they were too poor and didn't have it, I will pass over. So taking a look at this ancient custom that God gave to the Israelites, let me give you four ways in how the Israelites practice Passover that I kind of draw out for us. Number one, there is no salvation if you don't kill the lamb. This was a brutal reality that wasn't reserved for simply Israelite worship, but all cultures of this time would enact animal sacrifice. And God gives a very specific ritual in this moment in order for the Israelites to be delivered. But in order for you to be delivered, you have to kill the lamb. There has to be sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. This was also a part of this practice. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was taking place during this festival. It's also talked about in this chapter. Get rid of the old yeast. Don't have any yeast among you. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So from the mouth of Paul in the New Testament, he's declaring to the Corinthians and to us, 
There is a perfect lamb, and his name is Jesus, and he is our Passover lamb. There is no salvation if you don't kill the lamb. Jesus was sacrificed. Jesus was killed on the cross. Number two, and how we see Passover practiced is to apply the blood. After the lamb is sacrificed, you now need to take the substance that God gave through the lamb and you need to apply it literally to the doorframe. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by what? The blood of Jesus. He didn't die for no reason. He died in order to give us that which we need to apply in order to be delivered from death itself. Jesus gave it, so we are to apply it. It's freely given, without reservation. And the Old Testament said, apply it to the doorframe, to the threshold, to your house. I think it's kind of ironic that we are considered temples, houses, where the Spirit of God indwells. Is the blood of Christ applied to your life. Number three, the Israelites were commanded to stay inside. I love this one. To leave the house is to believe that you can be saved another way. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of the Israelites in this moment. Darkness covers the land. All of these mighty plagues have been enacted. Even if I know that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, the I am that I am, or the I will be that I will be, that God, man, I'm still probably shaking in my boots right now because I don't know what's coming next. And he was very clear in this moment that unless you apply the blood to the doorframe of this very specific animal, then you are not going to be delivered. You will not be passed over but your firstborn will be taken as well. I can imagine being afraid in this moment, even after having followed the prescriptive way given by God through Moses. And I can imagine in my own cognitive wherewithal that in that moment, I might want to leave and go and do something that I know from my past has served me before. I might want to look back to what has helped me in order to help me in the presence. And yet God commanded through Moses to the people, stay inside. Don't go outside. Because if you pass the threshold where the blood of Jesus Christ has been given and has been sprinkled and has been covered, you are outside of his covering and you are no longer protected. You have to stay inside of who Jesus is and what he has given for you. Fear is there. But then you can be reminded of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. This was something we know the Israelites struggled to do. I said I would come back to the golden calf incident. Now, following the exodus, months later, they're at Mount Sinai. God has done miraculous things 
from the Exodus up into this point. And here's the deal. 40 days go by, and they're not afraid. They're bored. They're bored. And they say to Aaron, the number two, who's unfortunately not a good leader, who buckles to the weight of their demands, and he helps facilitate and furnishes this golden calf, and they worship it, and they say, this is the God who delivered us. Think about that. The God who gave everything, and who will give everything in Jesus, and deliver them, and doesn't ask for anything in return, who loves unconditionally, is now giving them the way of life to the promised land, communing with Moses, and after 40 days of boredom, Let's make a new God. And here's what God says to Moses when he hears and he knows what they're doing. He says in verse 7 of the 32nd chapter of Exodus, go down because your people, I love how they're, they're not in this moment, my people, they're your son, your daughter. Do you know what he did? Do you know what she did as parents like to say? Your people whom you brought up out of G Egypt have become corrupt. Verse 8, they have been quick to turn away, quick to escape, quick to run, quick to flee, rather than stay put, stay inside the will of God, stay inside the covering of God. Stay within the threshold where the blood of Jesus has been applied. Yes. Stay inside. The fourth and last point of how I see pra Passover practiced is don't delay. Don't do it. Do it. Exodus chapter 12, verses 10 through 11 said this, Do not leave any of it, referring to the animal, the lamb, that they had sacrificed taken the blood, applied it to the threshold of the opening way to their home, their front door, and now they were to cook it, not boil it, but burn it, and eat everything other than the bones. Mm -hmm. You leave nothing, not the fat, not the sinew, not the organs, not the muscle, not the brains, not the tongue, not the eyeballs, <laughs> everything you are to consume, all of it you take in. Yeah. Everything was given for you, so take it. Right. Side note, the reason why not to break a bone is because this is prophetic, speaking of Jesus, who we know through the prophet Isaiah and fulfilled in Jesus on the cross, said that not one of his bones was broken. Passover lamb is always pointing to Jesus. In this moment, this is pointing to Jesus hundreds of years before his incarnation. So they consume everything in this moment. And he says, this is how you're to eat it. Watch. With your cloak tucked into your belt, so they would normally wear these long flowing robes. This is where the, the, the phrase gird your loins comes from, where they would take it and they would wrap it like a big old diaper or big old tidy whities and they'd wrap themselves up so that if they needed to flee in a moment's notice, they wouldn't trip over their cloak. So God is saying, eat this meal in a state of readiness. You are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This was not a meal to be celebrated in a manner that was casual, relaxed, or even comfortable. 
They were waiting in the dark after applying blood to the threshold of their door, huddled around a fire with a baby lamb that had been sacrificed that they need to eat all of it, whether they like it or not, whether it's chewy or tendony or not, and they eat every last bit of it other than the bones. They eat it ready and they eat it with haste. This is because God is coming for us. When he says that you are to establish my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, that's because Jesus ushered in the kingdom and God is coming back. And the question is, are we going to be ready when he returns? The king is coming. And he needs to know if you're ready and he's shown you the way to be ready. Not to be left wondering, not to be left unprepared, but ready. So don't delay. It's Resurrection Sunday. If you don't know Jesus, I invite you. There's a perfect lamb that has been slain before the foundations of the earth were even lain. Before you did the worst of the acts or the deeds that are still haunting you today before your worst addictive lifestyles, before the trauma that you endured, before you were violated by another human being, before you were abandoned by your parents, before you abandoned someone else, before you committed any act of treason, of hurt, an unforgivable act against someone, before any of that, Jesus died for you. He's the lamb that was slain. And his blood covers you. So stay inside and don't delay. Don't delay. Come to him. So don't forget, it's his kingdom. And guess what? He's welcomed us into it. It's his kingdom. He did all the work. He died on the cross and he gives it freely to all who will accept him. You don't got to pay him. You don't got to be perfect afterwards. You just got to follow him. And you got to say, Jesus, it's you and it's you alone that I will remain in. It's you and you alone who has set me free. I want to invite the worship team to come forward at this time. In the Old Testament, long before even the events of the Exodus transpire, there's a moment between a father and a son, Abraham and Isaac. And they're going up to a mountain to do something really tough. It's God testing Abraham. But what I want to focus on is what Isaac says. Isaac is on his way on this journey with his father to sacrifice to God. And as they're on their way up to Mount Moriah, Isaac has a realization. He's walking with his father, Abraham, and he realizes that while they're on their way to worship God, they have not secured the lamb for the sacrifice. And Isaac's wondering. And he finally asks, Father, where's the lamb? Where is that 
which is going to honor God? Where is that which is going to appease God? Where is that which is going to help us in our relationship with God? Because we don't have it. And Abraham's response is what I pray we would embrace today. Because I believe that that question is a question we ask, even if it might be indirectly and we don't understand it. Where's the lamb? Where's the hope? Where's the help? Where's my identity? Where's my purpose? Where is life outside of this life that I've been living that I am so distraught over, that I am so depressed over? Where's the lamb? What's going to change my circumstances? And Abraham responds to the question of his son, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. Passover is a representation of the perfect lamb, the Passover lamb, capital P, capital L, that was sacrificed once and for all time and for all sins and for all people. Jesus is the lamb that is provided for us. When Jesus comes to the earth, before he starts his ministry, he goes out into the wilderness to see John the Baptist. And he sees John the Baptist, and when John the Baptist sees him, do you know what John the Baptist says? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Droves of people were flocking to John, who's preaching this crazy radical message about the Messiah who has come. And then the Messiah is there, and he stops and he says, everybody look, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I want to invite you, would you stand with me? And when you came in today, you should have had on your seats one of these cups. These are communion cups. We participate in communion as believers as a means of honoring the very sacrifice of the Passover lamb. What's profound and important for us to recognize is that this very supper, this very practice was given by Jesus during the Passover festival. So during this time of honoring that which was given, Jesus is now going to make it new. Jesus. Jesus. As you peel back the first layer of your cup and you take the bread, this represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Look, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. 
The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, it's his kingdom, and he's welcomed us into it. So on that night, and every year after that, when the people of Israel would celebrate the Passover and they would sacrifice the lamb, there would be nothing left that they hadn't consumed. They took all of that sacrifice into them. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus, this is a reminder that you have taken all of Jesus into your life, symbolically. This isn't magical. This isn't something that's going to do anything to you in this moment. This is symbolic. That when I partake of this, I partake of Jesus and all that he is, and I don't just pick and choose parts of him. Not just the parts that I prefer. I take every part of who he is into my being and into my life because without him, there is nothing. And if you're not a believer and you want to take all of Jesus into your life, let this be that moment. Let this be that start. I would encourage you to take this bread in this moment. And I would encourage everybody here to say, Jesus, I take all of you into my life. And from this day forward, I will follow you even on my worst days, even when I stumble, even when I fall. And on my best days, I will always give you glory for who you are. I take all of you into who I am. And if that's you today, I invite you, let's partake of this bread together. body of Jesus that was broken for you and for me. You can peel back that second layer of your cup. And you know what this represents? This represents the blood that was applied to the threshold. The blood of Passover that saves you, that has delivered you and when we partake of this cup, we say, Jesus, I remain in you. I abide in you. I will stay here in this place. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Remember, it's his kingdom, and he's welcomed us into it. It's his kingdom. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And Jesus is coming, so stay ready. Father, I pray right now for those that are here within reach of my voice, and I pray that they would embrace the covering of your blood upon their lives. You are our perfect Passover lamb. And as we have taken 
all of you fully into who we are, we will remain fully in who you are. Father, we confess to you our need of you. If there be any unclean thing in us, search it out and wash us clean and make us white as snow because you are willing and just and gracious to do so. You are a faithful God. And in Jesus' name, church, if you believe in Jesus, let's partake of this cup together. Why don't you just take a moment and give him thanks. Worship the Lord. He is good. If you've never worshipped him before and you want to worship him now, just say thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And thank you for what you have done. You are a good God. You are a good God, Jesus. And we worship you. We worship you, Jesus. Jesus, I'm no longer a wanderer. I don't have to be in the wilderness, Jesus. I am set free, Jesus. I am made new in Jesus. I am restored in Jesus. I'm alive in Jesus. So, Jesus, I worship you. I thank you, Jesus. I glorify your name, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Come on, keep worshiping him. Take this moment to worship him on this Resurrection Sunday. He's alive. He's alive. Your hope is not in vain. You will not be made a fool of. You will not be ashamed. Jesus is alive. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you, Jesus. Oh, you are worthy, God. Man, I think we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And we are made new. We are not made fools because Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has conquered death. And now we will too. There is eternity waiting for us who are in Jesus. So, man, I think we need to thank God. You want to thank God? All right, let's do it. Come on, put your hands together.
Get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. You're not dead anymore. Come on, get up. Get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. Hallelujah. Get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave. Get up, get up, get up. Get up out of that grave.